Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Saturday, March 12th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Stacy, Mika, and Kristen. And we are doing an episode that Mika thought up, and I'm calling this the recommendation episode. So basically, we are all talking about books that were recommended by fellow beastresses. So since this is Mika's episode idea, she's going to start us off followed by me, Stacy, and lastly, Kristen. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my, I'm so excited about this episode. And my first book that I'm going to discuss tonight not only have I heard it discussed um, on the podcast, but it is officially the book that has catapulted me out of my uh, pretty much almost year-long reading slump. And this is a, I believe Stacy was the first person who told me about this book. And it is called The Flat Share. Oh, by yay. Beth O'Leary. And oh my gosh, first of all, Stacy, it's so good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is so good. It there is just anytime that I read a book that um or anytime that I hear of a book and they talk about like, oh, this book has, you know, it's it's funny, right? I feel like I always think that it's gonna be like slap funny you know what I mean like oh. um, which isn't necessarily my kind of comedy particularly right. since I tend to be like in, an angst monster so <laughs> <laughs> but it is so fun and the book is with oh my gosh is it Leon is that his name Leon <sighs> Leo Leo and um, the, hero, the heroine's name that I have uh, Tiffy, Tiffy, that's her name. Um, so Leon and Tiffy, and they are in an arrangement. She, she needs a place to live. He needs money. So she lives with him. They have an arrangement where they live together, but they, and they sleep in the same bed, but they never get to oh. see each other. Um, so they share a bed, but he works nights and she works days and he is a hospice nurse and she is an assistant editor. And this book is so like 
it's laugh out loud funny, like even though you wouldn't necessarily think that there would be a lot of funny parts, especially since he is a hospice nurse. Um, but it also has a lot of heart as well. And she's just gotten out of, you know, kind of she's gotten out of a relationship. Uh, the book does start out with him being in a relationship. And you just kind of wonder, like, how are things going to work? And I'm not even wondering, like, necessarily, like, okay, how are they going to, what's going to be the thing that makes them, like, fall for each other? Because it is technically, it is a romance. I love that what they end up doing is that they start leaving notes for each other around the house. And there's just post-it notes everywhere. So it is, like, it is comedy. It is a book with lots of feeling. It is an epistolary. So it, it it's really quite fantastic and I um in full disclosure I am not done but I know that I am like probably about 70 percent done and I just hands down this book is so amazing and I cannot thank you enough for bringing it to my attention so again it is The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary just been on my like TBR list since Stacy first talked about it a couple years ago. So The Flat Share is like one of my most favorite books in the history of my life. And it is for all the reasons that Mika said, there's so much heart to it. It's surprisingly deep for something that is, uh, you know, called a rom-com. Um, but yet it has shades of like those 90s movie rom-coms that we, well, I don't know if we all love them, but the, I loved so much. And there were just these moments yes. where I could have seen it like on the big screen and just, I loved it so much. And then it's just such a beautiful relationship book, but just the epistolary appeal for me was just beyond anything. Like I loved all the notes and how throughout the book, how they got more and more personal and oh, it was just so delightful. So please, if you haven't read The Flat Chair before, I will shamelessly get on my knees and beg you to please, please give it a try, especially if you're having a tough day because it'll just cheer you up even if you don't want it to. That's what I say about it. <laughs> so my first pick tonight is a young adult fantasy romance that Kristen first talked about on a monthly picks episode. And then Amber told me about again um, just before this episode. And so I read it and it is lovely in every possible way. This is The Witch King, The Witch King, book one by H.E. Edgman. So this is the story of Wyatt. He is a, a trans witch who has fled his home realm after he lost control of his magic one night and something very, very, very bad happened. So he has been kind of masquerading as just a non-magical human in a small town in Texas, eating countless chicken nuggets. Um, to him, chicken nuggets are the best things about the human realm. <laughs> um, he, that like, depends on where they're from. Well, he's just in love with like chicken nuggets. <laughs> he's never really named the place where, where he gets them. Um, so I don't know if it's just like any or if we're specific here, but <laughs> he loves them. <laughs> Now, before he fled his home realm, he was engaged to be married to the Fae King, or he's a Fae Prince right now, but eventually he will become the Fae King. So 
when he fled, of course, he just kind of left his fiance behind and is intent on starting a new life. Amir is Wyatt's fiance. And the last time he saw Wyatt, Wyatt was living as a female and under a different name. And so he doesn't really know what to expect when a series of terrible events in the Fey realm cause him to have to track Wyatt down. And he needs to persuade Wyatt to come home with him and to ascend the throne as now his husband and the co-ruler of the realm. But things between the Fae and witches are not great and apparently haven't been great for some time. Um, Witches are kind of viewed as like the inferior race of of magical beings. Um, A lot of families, when they find out that their child has been born a witch, they will leave them like in the woods to die. Maybe they abandon them in the human realm, but basically the Fae do not have much to do with witches. So the idea that Wyatt is to marry the prince and become essentially the witch king um, is a problem for a lot of people. So this is one of those richly imagined fantasy novels that has created a world that is different from our own in kind of the the magical, fantastical ways that we, we like things to be, but that also has a feeling of familiarity that just makes you feel like you can relate with not only the characters, but to the setting as well. I really loved watching Amir having to kind of get to know Wyatt as the person that he is now and to kind of put aside all of the like preconceived notions that he has about who Wyatt was when they were growing up together and you know kind of how his difficulty with his own magic you know has has caused him so much trauma. Um, there's a little bit of a, a mystery element here although it is kind of a I don't know, like it, it's not a high suspense book. You're not like at the edge of your seat waiting to see like who is responsible for all these things. It is just a nicely kind of understated mystery woven into the fabric of the novel itself. And I am so glad that I picked this up. The sequel is coming out in May. It's apparently called The Fae Keeper. And I am so excited for it. So this is The Witch King. The Witch King, book one by H.E. Edgman. I love books about witches, so I'm, I'm really excited about this. You liked Witch Mark a lot by C.L. Polk, I think. You, yeah, yes, I think you told me yes, about I that. Did. And this one, it doesn't quite have that same like feel. You know, it doesn't have like the people running around on bicycles kind of thing but you can fly on dragons and there's just there's so many things that I love about this that it kind of it has I don't know like hints of which mark that just made me really happy oh I love it I I cannot wait to try this thanks Shannon I have decided that the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is going to be one that Mika recommended because this was Mika's episode idea. And I really struggled. Yes. And I really struggled with which one of Mika's recommendations to go with because she's begged and pleaded with me 
several times to read a couple different series. And I'm very much of a mood reader. So I had to decide like, what did I want to read? And so I decided to read Three Mages and a Margarita, The Guild Codex, book one by Annette Marie. And I have to admit that when I started this book, because I did try to start it last year, I stopped at chapter two because I thought she was a dumb little bitch and I didn't like her. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but I really did not like her. She was kind of a little brat with like these weird anger management issues. Like her, she gets very upset. Uh, She's a server in a cafe and we find out that she's been um, employed in many cafes in the city where she lives because she keeps blowing up at customers and being fired. And so this time she takes it as far. And I do feel, I must start by saying, I do feel as though the woman deserved what she got, but she smacks her in the face with um, her server's tray. And every waitress away. is like dream- fantasy. I know. I mean, <laughs> about this. And, and then she goes home and she's living with her brother and she's like 21. And I'm like, oh my good God. Like, I can't read about these children who are 21. I just can't. But I decided Mika told me that one of her favorite things about this series was like the found family and the strong friendships and we are simpatico about loving that. So I'm like, okay, if Mika said this is going to be good, I'm going to pull up my pants. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to give this little brat Tori a chance. And am I so glad that I did? Cause I laughed my ass off. Some of the things that she said in this book, I was like, hoot laughing, which is always so embarrassing, but I was home alone at the time. So it wasn't quite as embarrassing, but what happens is she's looking for a job and all of the diners downtown and cafes are like, yeah, no, your name's Tori. We've heard about you. And they won't even hire her. (laughs) And she's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And someone's like, you should try retail dear. And she's like, yeah, well, that was before my stint as a server in all the different cafes. So basically she's like kind of blown up her life and her, you know, inability to curb her more violent, angry tendencies has cost her a lot. But then she encounters a list of different job opportunities as it blows down the street. And one of them is for a bar in sort of a shady part of town. And she's like, awesome. Maybe they haven't heard about redheaded Tori in this part of town. She's like, have I ever been a bartender? Well, no, not really, but I'll figure it out. So she goes and she interviews and it's kind of like, this sort of weird she's asked some kind of weird questions and the bar is just sort of like weird but she's like you know what whatever even if I work one shift for these people they beg her just to do like one practice shift because their regular bartender is out sick and they were having a large event so she's like slinging drinks for people and getting more and more frustrated because so many of the people there are well first of all they're very odd and they're also very rude and she finally there's like these three hot men who are sitting on bar stools and one of them is just like heckling her endlessly as she's trying to make drinks and put in all the orders in the till and he just calls her hey new girl hey new girl like over and over again and he keeps asking her stupid things and finally he just goes one moment too far and she's in the middle of making his overly sweet disgusting margarita in a blender with a stupid cherry on top and a dumb umbrella and she's just so annoyed And so she picks up that margarita and she slings it in in his face. Yes, but also a waste of a perfectly good margarita, margarita. right? (laughs) All abuse. Not only does she sling it in his face, but she slings it into the faces of the two hot guys with her. And after a moment of shocked silence in this bar, a very shocked silence, 
the redheaded guy who she flung the margarita at starts laughing. And then so does everyone else. And as she's working this shift, she realizes that her sassy attitude is actually a bonus here. And people kind of love it when she gets all snarky with them. So as things often do in books such as this, everything goes kind of sideways when Tori realizes that where she's working isn't quite the normal bar that she thought it was. And she's not <laughs> quite who the people at the bar thought she was. Because young Tori with her long red hair and her sassy attitude is going to learn that there are more things in heaven than earth. Anyway, she learns that magic is real. And so she has a choice to make. Does she continue working at this bar where she is the only human without magical abilities? Or does it get taken away from her? Now, this is the first book in the series. So it does a lot of setting up and um, some world building. And we are promised that this is not a reverse harem because I don't like, there's nothing wrong with reverse harem. It's just not my thing. Um, but what is stressing me out a bit about the series, I will move on to the second book. But the one thing that's giving me some anxiety is there is a contender in this threesome of gorgeous eye candy men that I want her to end up with. But I have this terrible fear that she's going to end up with somebody else. And it's going to be this awkward love square thing. I don't even know, but Mika promised me it wouldn't be like that. So I will continue, but if you need, a good I'm laugh, hoping not. <laughs> yeah, it better not Mika. You made me a promise, <laughs> but um, I will tell you that if you want a book that's light and fun and easy to read and talks a lot about really delicious, delicious drinks, which really did it for me. I really enjoy hearing about a bartender building a delicious Manhattan or an old fashioned or whatever. This is a fun book and I would encourage you to read it. This again is Three Mages and a Margarita by Annette Marie. And it's the Guild Codex, I think it's Spellbound, book one. The Guild Codex is like this enormous sprawling series that has several uh, I don't even spin know how to explain it. Spin-offs like spin that go along. But I think this it. is actually, yeah, but I think this is actually the first book in the main series. So go forth and read. And you, like me, will cackle several times out loud. I promise. I am so happy that you tried this book out. It is, um, it is so, it's so much fun. And I think one of my favorite parts about that book um for me, it was just the fact that here's Tori and she's so like kind of plain Jane ordinary in this world that isn't. And you're learning right along with her and she's utilizing her knowledge in a way that you might not, that I feel sometimes people who don't have like powers don't get to do like in other, yeah. in other fantasy series. Yeah, I agree. Cause it has like that urban fantasy feeling except for our heroine does not have a drop of magic to her name. And so she's learning how to be resourceful in a world that sees her as weak. And I think that's really cool. Um, there's also some interesting hints about her past, about some family stuff. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to get to know her a bit better when she is able to relax into who she is without always trying to be like the lone ranger, if you will. So, And I like all the friendship in this book as well. All right, so my first book tonight is The Language of Flowers. Yes! By 
Vanessa Diffenbaugh. I love that name. (laughs) It's my favorite. Um, It is so good. Um, This book, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even have words that are going to do it justice. So please forgive me, Vanessa Diffenbaugh. Um, This book is full of found family and the struggle bus of life and a child that has been from bounced from house to house in foster care. Um, she does go to a home which she actually likes, but at this point she's already, she's kind of, she's an angry child. So this book is about Victoria Jones and from a young child, as I said, she is, is in and out of different foster homes, group homes, all of this. And she's just fed up with life. She hates people. She hates school. And she comes to this lady eventually who she actually really likes, but she doesn't know how to show that. And the person that she is now living with um, has a sister who she has been estranged from for quite a while. But this lady has a vineyard and she teaches Victoria all about the language of flowers. Being different flowers mean different things. Um, and so this is something that Victoria is really interested in. But she causes a major disaster to happen without really meaning for it to be a major disaster. Um, And so she's taken away from this, this lady and given or put back in a group home. And then comes around Victoria's 18th birthday. She is then emancipated and she's taken to a um to a home and she gets the first three months I believe free rent but after that she has to find a job and be able to pay rent or she's out on the street and so she does get kicked out and she's she takes up in this park And since she loves flowers, she starts to take care of the flowers around the park and plant some of her own and tends this little garden in the park forever. And then she happens on this flower shop. And she is very interested. And even though she's still kind of bitter, she gets in to the owner's good graces and she gives her a chance. And that really starts Victoria's love of letting her go out on that limb of creativity and using the language of flowers to, to give people hope. Or um, like there's a lady that comes into the shop that wants to hopefully make her relationship better. And so Victoria takes different flowers and puts them in a bouquet and... Um, this relationship gets better. So, you know, flowers can't make things better, but if you believe in something hard enough, 
things tend to happen. So I think that's kind of where it's coming from. But then this person at the flower shop or not the flower shop, but the, the market, the flower market where her and her boss go to buy flowers for different occasions. He seems to recognize Victoria, but she doesn't place him. And so they go back and forth with this. He gives her a flower and she takes the meaning of that. And then she responds with another, another flower. And this goes back and forth for a few, maybe a month or so. And then they meet up and he happens to be the nephew of the lady that she was, um, she was with that taught her the language of flowers. And this just leads to a whole bunch of other stuff. And there's so much more that happens. There's so many deep feelings and I'm still like overcome with the way the emotions in this book and how you see this young girl go from this angry young woman to such a beautiful, self-sufficient person that overcomes all of these childhood traumas. And it's not easy at all. It's, there's so much heartbreak in this book, but it's, it's brought back around by love and the family that she makes her own. I know this is a book that I will be rereading again at some point, um, but I highly recommend this to anyone who wants to just to read a beautiful found family story and someone who overcomes the odds to be someone great. And so this book is called The Language of Flowers, by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. I read this probably 10, 10 or 12 years ago, and I have never, ever forgotten it. It is unlike anything else I've ever read. That is very true. Yes. My second book for today will be Oathsworn. The Jackie Leon series, book one by K.N. Bannett. And this book was recommended by Kristen. I think that she was chatting in our thread about it. And I think that she'd mentioned it on another podcast episode. And then I was like, gosh, I don't know about this book. I wonder, hmm. And I started the book and I thought, wow, this is kind of gritty for like my usual urban fantasy like flair um fair because usually you know like a lot of urban fantasy has like very snarky heroines which she is um and can often have like kind of a whimsical sort of feel even even if it's sort of dark but this one is just like bam just (laughs) it comes right out of the front gate and and just hits you and so Jackie is a um, is a jaguar, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I um, hope I am. I, th- I, I know think she's so. a cat, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she's, she's some kind of cat. cat. She's a big cat that'll kill you. So <laughs> <laughs> um, take your pick. But she and she is a she is she owns a bar 
And she's pretty much a loner. She does not really want anything to do with anyone. She wants everyone to just leave her the heck alone. These tend to be my favorite kind of heroines um, because it's super fun to watch them get their world turned upside down um, (laughs) when they're not left alone. And one day a girl ends up um, finding her. She's about 10 years old. And she says, and she asks for her protection. And there is a, there is an oath basically that says that if someone does ask for your protection and you are part of this, um, of this special kind of cat, you have to do it. And no one has invoked this protection for a very long, long time. Um, but Carrie does, and she is, and turns out that she is the daughter of an alpha werewolf and their pack is definitely under siege and she is in danger. And it's a good thing that she finds Jackie when she does, because it is like part, you know, this book is like part, um, reluctant found family (laughs) and, (laughs) and, part road trip and part um and and it's so action-packed um and you get to learn so much about these different um wolves and and these different shifter packs and how most of them they're all like geographically located so it's like the atlanta wolves and the dallas wolves um and and it is so good. I've read the first two in this series and um, it is, you know, my little romantic heart wishes that it was a faster burn <laughs> instead of the s- super slow burn that it, that it is, but it is so good, so much action. Like I genuinely was worried for these characters and and you don't really know how they're going to make it out of the situation. Um, but, but it is really, really, really good. Lots of it, the action goes right along with the world building and you kind of learn why Jackie is like really literally not interested in doing, doing this, but she has to protect this girl because she has given her oath and to her, her oath is more important than her life. So um, again, the book is called Oath Sworn Jackie Leon, book one by Kay and Bannett. Kristen, I cannot thank you enough for recommending this series. It is so, so much fun. I only, the only reason why I stopped reading it was because I wanted her to come out with some more books first so I could binge more of them. This oh, is good. often compared to Mercy Thompson, which is what first caught my eye, like when I first saw it. Um, because I really love Patricia Briggs, so I do want to read this. All right, so my second pick tonight is a contemporary romance. Um, Sarah recommended this author to me, and then Mika talked about reading um, this particular book. So this is The Ones Who Got Away, The Ones Who Got Away, book one by Ronnie Lauren. I know that Sarah told me about a different um a different series 
that Lauren has written. Um, and I do plan to pick that up. I really want to dig into her backlist and like catch up with her work because I did really, really like this one. So this is a four book series about a group of people who survived a school shooting. 12 years ago, a bunch of people died in a shooting at Longacre High School. Um, and there was a group of people who escaped and the media has taken to calling these the ones who got away. So 12 years later, you know, these people are kind of spread apart. Some of them keep in touch, some of them don't. Um, but they're drawn back to Longacre because someone is making a documentary about the shooting and about the lives of the survivors. So in this first book, we follow Liv, and Liv has returned home kind of reluctantly. It's been a long time since she's been in Longacre, and in a lot of ways, like she thinks that she's put the shooting behind her, but you as the reader know that she, she hasn't. Um, she's still dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress. Um, she has a lot of really complicated feelings about herself, about the people who survived along with her, about the shooter, and of course, about the people who died. And so this is just all way messier than Liv would like it to be. Um, she's kind of one of those people that you think, you know, pushes everything kind of down and she's just ready to like get on with it. She doesn't like to admit that she has, you know, some weaknesses and some vulnerabilities. So she's doing an interview for this documentary and she's talking about, you know, how it was when she was hiding from the shooter. And she looks over and there's a man standing there and it's a man that she recognizes as her sort of high school crush, Finn. Now, Finn, cared about Liv, although he didn't always treat her the best back when they were in high school. Um, his family kind of viewed Liv as not good enough for him, and he didn't do a lot to sort of defend her to them. And so their relationship was kind of fracturing even before the shooting. Well, after the shooting, you know, everything is super complicated and they're separated. So now Finn is working as an undercover cop. And so he's very, very careful that the media like not get a look at him because this could put him in danger when he is on these assignments. Um, but he starts to really wonder if living life in constant danger, like always, you know, trying to put people in jail and putting himself in, in danger without really giving a lot of thought to the people that he would leave behind, he starts to wonder if this is really like the best thing to do. Um, as the days pass, he and Liv kind of rekindle what they had in high school and slowly, very slowly, start to lay the ghosts of their past to rest. This is a story of, of survival and of both the good and the hard things that go along with surviving a tragedy. I really like that Lauren digs deep into the feelings of these characters and really lets us see like all the ways that they're glad to be alive, but all of the conflict that they feel about like the ways that they're living their lives today and what do they owe to the people who didn't survive. So this is The Ones Who Got Away, The Ones Who Got Away, book one 
by Ronnie Lauren. And I definitely plan to continue this series. Although I do say, don't read this in audio. Um, I started it in audio and I had to go and get the ebook because I, I just could not deal with the narrator. My second book of the night was recommended by multiple beastresses. For sure, I know Shannon, Natalia, and Brooke have read this. And I, you know, to be a little transparent, I have read this author in the past, but it's been a really long time because I turned my back quite adamantly on romantic suspense for a number of years. And I just decided I couldn't do it anymore. And then I read a series that made me change my mind. So I was talking to the beastresses and I asked them if there was any smartly written romantic suspense out there and unanimously everyone said Karen Rose I'm like well I've read her but you know uh." and so we decided that I should start with Closer Than You Think it's in her romantic suspense series um, it's number 16 but it's the first in her Cincinnati series and I just am going to say if you have triggers just I don't know stay away because this book was very (laughs) frightening. Um, This is one of the best books I've read in a really long time. It's about a psychologist named Faith. And Faith has been really struggling. She lives in Florida and she has been dealing with a stalker for a long, long time. And finally, it gets to a point where for her safety, she needs to flee. And luckily for Faith, her grandmother, well, I don't want to say luckily for Faith because that sounds terrible, but she's just been left her grandmother's estate as her grandmother has passed away. Now, this is both a good thing and a terrible thing because she hasn't been at this estate in, I'm thinking it was like 25 years. And now she has to return to a place that, you know, she found a lot of happiness, but also just has some very unpleasant memories associated with it, but she needs a place to hide. And from the time she arrives in Cincinnati to work at a very different type of job, that's far from being a psychologist. She's changed her last name. And, you know, from the time she arrives in Cincinnati, things just don't go her way. Um, The first time she visits the estate, she can't get the door open. It's like the locks have been changed. She thinks she hears a woman screaming, but that has to be like a, I don't know, some sort of dog howling probably. But, you know, it's just sort of eerie and she can't get in and she's like, ugh. So she goes back to the hotel and then things begin to happen. In this area, a couple college girls have gone missing, which is very upsetting And FBI special agent Deacon Novak has been brought in to kind of help with these cases. And as a liaison between, I know, as a liaison between local law enforcement and the FBI. And I'm someone that isn't usually enamored with like books about like law enforcement that doesn't do much for me usually. But um, the way that um, Karen Rose sort of built this character and built the way that he is kind of going after examining every aspect of the case that he's part of was really fascinating to me. And 
from the moment that Faith and Deacon meet, it's just the book never lets up. It's a really long book um, in audio. I want to say it's like 23 hours of audio. And this whole book is about how this killer is getting closer and closer to Faith. Um, People are continuing to die. Weird things are happening around the estate that I will not get into. Um, This is a very involved and complex plot that I can't say much about without giving away huge chunks of the story. So what all I will tell you about this book is it was one of the freakiest things I've ever read in my life. Um, I kept the lights on. I wanted to immediately plow into the second book in the series when I finished this one, but I was too frightened and I needed some time away from serial killers because holy crap, the name of this book closer than you think it is freaking true. This dude, this serial killer was closer than she thought. And the ways that the um, horrible villain um, tormented her and uh, dealt with anyone getting too close to what the killer believes belongs to them was quite frightening. And Um, this was probably the best romantic suspense book I've ever read in my entire life. I loved it so very much. And so I thank the women of Book Bistro for telling me repeatedly that Karen Rose writes smart romantic suspense where people don't like bang in alleys when the killers are six feet away. (laughs) And like that she actually writes, she built this really explosively amazing book and she does it in these incremental moments that just makes it feel so like taut and fraught and like you're waiting for the bomb to go off like the entire book. And I know I'm not really giving much about the story, but I can't. So all I will tell you is everything by Karen Rose is amazing, but I loved this book because it took place in Cincinnati. This is Closer Than You Think, Romantic Suspense number 16, Cincinnati number one by the queen of romantic suspense, Karen Rose. She is so good. Does she still timestamp her chapters? She still timestamps. Because you get so stressed and then you realize like, like this has to have gone on for like months and months. It's just been like maybe like a day or two. (laughs) My second book is The Road to Rosebend. Rosebend number one by Naima Simone. And I was, uh, well, Shannon told Stacy one day before I came into the thread that she wanted me to read these books. So I I said, okay, I will read these books. And I know that Stacy loves them. So who should I trust when it comes to books, but Shannon and Stacy? So therefore, I picked it up and I fell in love with Rose Bend. I adore books that happen in small towns, um, close knit towns. This, while they don't have quite some of the quirky characters of Gilmore Girls, it just kind of gives you that Stars Hollow feeling. A little bit. Um, Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And so like the kind of East Coast, like 
Yeah, but just how everybody knows everybody and everybody's always there for each other and everybody knows everybody's business. And, you know, so it that those kinds of books are just very close to my heart. Um, So this book is about Sidney Collins and Coltrane Denison. Sydney Collins grew up in Rosebend, Massachusetts, and her sister, uh, Carlin, passed away while Sydney was still a young girl from cancer. And during her sister's illness and after her sister's passing, you know, her relationship with her parents was very strained. And so as soon as she was able to get out of Rosebend, she did so. And she went to Charlotte, North Carolina. She married a guy named Daniel, who was a kind of a, I wouldn't say high society, but he thought he was all that because of his job and just very particular. And after almost a decade, she is now divorced. She's pregnant. And she has come back to Rosebend because she feels that to give her baby the best upbringing with people who care and come together to support those they love, that Rosebend is the place to be. And so she comes back to town and she is staying at the inn run by the Denisons. And when she first gets back, she stops by the church in the town and she's standing up on the hill, kind of up above the graveyard. And this is where she runs into Cole Dennison. And Cole has some heartbreak of his own going on. He, two years um, before he lost his wife and baby boy, in childbirth and since their passing he has not been with anyone he has he just doesn't think he can love again but as soon as he sees Sydney things start to happen he feels again and he's really not sure what to do with this because it feels like a betrayal to his wife and little boy but Things tend to go not so great for Sydney. Um, Her relationship with her parents is still kind of strained, even though she wishes it wasn't. And then her ex-husband appears one day and tells her that once the baby is old enough, he will be suing for custody because he does not think that raising their baby in a little hick town is the best thing and that he has been seeing someone else and they are going to get married and this will give him a good standing to win custody. And this breaks Sydney's heart. Here comes a marriage of convenience. Yay. And I love this. And while there's so much heart, you know, there, there's struggles, there's, I love this person, but I shouldn't love this person. This is a betrayal to my wife and all of this. And the way that family comes together 
to help Cole realize that he can love again, that it is okay. Um, including his uh, late wife's mother and father. Um, and the way that they embrace Sydney as one of their own, even before her and Cole become involved, it's just so absolutely beautiful. And so once I read this book, I, of course, had to keep going with everything that is out already. (laughs) (laughs) And I have now read um, the novellas and Christmas in Rosebend, which is also a beautiful story. So this series as a whole is just touching my heart so much and makes me so very, very happy. And so I highly recommend that if you have not read the Rosebend series um, by Naima Simone, you must pick this up immediately and start with The Road to Rosebend. Yes. yes. And if you I read it Natalia in audio, read these too. I think I she did too. And in audio, um, Mari, um, so Mari reads them and she does a really, really good job with these books. She is so, mm-hmm. so good. She's very good. She does really good. So I've, I've not had- heard her before. All right. My last book for the evening is one that Shannon suggested to me. And um, once again, Stacy, I'm begging and pleading. <laughs> Please read this. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh, uh-huh. So many beastresses have not read this. It makes me sad. I thought for <laughs> sure Brooke had read this and she hasn't. And it, well, that it just, just means that they have a lot to look forward to. It's true. You know, there's a lot they have to look forward to. And it also cracks me up. I'll tell you why it cracks me up in a minute that Shannon would suggest this book to me. Um, But the book is called, the first book in this series is called Heart of Malice, the Alice Worth series, book one by Lisa Edmonds. Yeah. (laughs) And Lisa Edmonds, first of all, um, Shannon, have you joined her reader group yet? No. Okay, you need to because it's on Facebook. I need to and, find it. And it's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> um, so Lisa Edmonds is, she teaches, uh, she's a professor of English. Um, really? But she, yes. That's awesome. But she has a background in forensics. Oh, beautiful. Um, and so this book takes place um, Oh my gosh, I forgot. I believe it's on the West Coast, though. So it takes place on the West Coast, and you meet Alice. And Alice does come across as, um, you know, she's kind of bitchy and she's snarky, and she's, um, but she's mostly, she pushes people away and she works alone, doesn't need nobody, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. However, the reason why she doesn't need anybody and pushes people away is because when she did need people and allowed them to help her, they, um, they died and they died at, um, the hands of a man who owns a cabal. And do we find out the, the, who this man is in the first, in the first book, Shannon, because I don't want to spoil it. Well, I know that we know. 
No, I don't think it is. I think we don't know all the stuff about him, but we know like who he is to her. Yes. So he is her grandfather. And, and he is, he is evil, (laughs) evil. Um, and, and he tormented her. So she basically faked her death and left and fled to the other side of the country. And she doesn't, and a lot of times urban fantasy, like kind of starts out with like, you know, they have weak powers and, and those powers have to build. Alice's powers are full throttle. She is a full throttle badass mage but she has to pretend as though her magic is less than what it is and so she basically wards herself and she wards everything and she makes those wards look normal um and so that her power comes across as being weaker than it actually is and she is a private investigator um and she loves she like she likes what she's what she does but she definitely likes working alone well then the reason why it cracks me up that shannon (laughs) recommends this book to me is because alice ends up getting kind of a sidekick yes this surprised me too when i read it i expected to hate it so much because of this (laughs) and the sidekick is a ghost can we just take a moment just to you know (laughs) stop stop Shannon reads a book with a ghost sidekick. What yes. is what? <laughs> mind a, hashtag mind blown. I know. He's such I a know. great sidekick ghost. It's a ghost. Wait, she can likes. We, I'm so glad this has been recorded. I want those words to be played at random times. <laughs> He's such a great sidekick ghost. We'll play them anytime. She mocks my love for all things haunted. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) But he is a ghost and you start to learn about the different mage systems and the different casts of magic users. There's vampires and there's werewolves. So anyhow, she takes this case from a, um, a pretty sick woman and she takes the case for her and she starts to work the case and then everything starts to go to hell. And then on top of that, um, she's kind of allies or whatever friends with, well, she's kind of, um, you know, reluctant acquaintances with, um, (laughs) with like the vampire, vampire, you know, and, and then there she's in a bar and she meets this guy and they have like a one night stand, which becomes more important in the book. And, and he is, he's a werewolf. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. werewolf, and and shit hits the fan in this book. In this book, and pretty much throughout the whole series. And this book does not suffer to me. Like the world building is so important in this book, but the book doesn't suffer from that first book syndrome. Oh yeah, in in my opinion, um, you know, and Alice is prickly, and you just kind of have to go in knowing that especially if like prickly heroines aren't necessarily your thing but she has reasons upon reasons for it and as this and as the series like continues it's there's so much like she may not know you very well but she's gonna fight for what's right for you And she's, there's so much like found, there's a found family, very reluctant found family in Alice's case. Crap. 
(laughs) 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 And, and it is so good. And it is one of the most underrated urban fantasy series. I do not know why this series does not have as much traction as so many other, like as other popular, like urban fantasy series do because it doesn't suffer from first book syndrome like a lot of them do the characters have like a there's it goes into depth about why this character is that way instead of having to necessarily wait for like book four or five the plot picks the plot picks up right away you know <sighs> and and everything in this book happens for a reason and then those reasons dovetail into other books and there is not one single crumb or hint that is unimportant in this book, in any of her books, but especially the first, the first book. And she, it is so good watching her and Malcolm, um, you know, watching her take Malcolm on as a sidekick is also really good. And even though she's super like bitchy and prickly, she's very careful of like, his autonomy because ghosts are bound to mages and his mage Malcolm's mage is still out there. So Malcolm escaped. Yeah. So in it it is really, it is an incredible, incredible book, incredible series, very underrated, tons of found family. And you really go through this journey with Alice as as she goes from who she is in the first book and as she grows into who she can be. And it's a very painful journey because her journey in general has been painful. So it is, it is incredible. So again, the first book is called Heart of Malice, the Alice Worth series, book one by Lisa Edmonds. And who can say no to a book whose author surprised all of us with not one book in a release week, but two books and a short story. It's true. They are so good. Natalia has read these. Christine has read these. They're so, so wonderful. So my next book will appeal to none of you on this episode. I I have to say this going in. It will, however, well, (laughs) based on what you told me the title was, I would concur wholeheartedly (laughs) with your guess. It will appeal to you, though, if you listen to this podcast and if you like our talk of of murder and destruction. No. (laughs) So this is a recommendation that Brooke made for me. Um, She texted me actually in the middle of the night And she said, I'm reading this and you should read it. And so I did. So this is In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife by Ashley Winstead. (laughs) I mean, the way I've been feeling lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tracks, tracks. (laughs) This is a very intense mystery. It was released in print and in ebook in 2021. The audio has actually just... Uh, become available this month. So this is the story of seven friends. They met their freshman year in college, and they were this really tight-knit, cohesive group. But during the fall of their senior year, one of them is murdered, and this fractures the group, not just in sort of the obvious way, but in all sorts of smaller, less tangible ways. 
So our main character is Jess. And it has been 10 years since Jess graduated from college. And she's not in very close touch with many of her friends. Um, A few of them she sends text messages to every now and then. One of them she harbors like a deep and secret love for, but no one knows that. Um, One of them is accused of the murder, but it's never been proven. And so there's just all this tension between these remaining friends. So now it's time for their 10-year college reunion. And Jess knows exactly how she wants this to go. Like she has spun this narrative so many times in her head. And she knows that she is going to walk into this reunion. Everyone is going to be so happy to see her, so wowed by everything that she's achieved. And they're just going to kind of forget about the awkward girl she was when she first started school there. Now, we know that things don't usually go as planned, right? Like, they just don't. And this is true for this reunion. Because, you see, someone else has a plan for this reunion. And it is not that the world is going to fall in love with Jess. No, no, no. Instead, it is that finally he is going to figure out who murdered his sister and why. So very slowly, he begins to kind of pit this group of friends one against the other in order to make them reveal all of these secrets that they've been keeping. And you wouldn't necessarily want to think that like your closest friends are keeping some huge secrets from you, but at least in this group, yeah, they are. Like, I'm not even sure how some of these people like keep these, these things hidden. Um, this is very, very taut, very fast paced. It's one of those books where you don't really know who to trust. Um, it's kind of a more adult version of All Your Twisted Secrets by Diana Urban. Um, it doesn't have that like YA high school feel. Instead, it's set at a university. And the, like, the book itself takes place over the course of the weekend of this reunion, but we flash back, backward in time to see kind of what led up to this murder. So if you like books about friend groups who keep very, very big secrets from one another, and you're looking for a really twisty psychological thriller, I highly recommend this. It's In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife by Ashley Winstead. I hate that I'm interested. <laughs> I, I do too, actually. I, I really hate that I'm interested because now <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yep. Oh, it's, it's so, so good. So my final recommended book of the evening comes to you, my friends, with a bit of a story. I will start this story by saying, once upon a time, Our intrepid leader, Shannon, recommended this book to me, and I laughed in her face. And I thought to myself, I will never read a book with such a stupid title. Never. 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 (laughs) And then I thought to myself, because I hate chicken, I cannot read a book that is about chicken restaurants. Gag and vomit times 50. Well, then, the other day, I was feeling a bit like an ass because I like 
Shannon was said mean to me, I was pretty mean. And I, and Shannon said to me, it would mean a lot to me if you would read the chicken sisters for this episode. And I thought, Oh, saints preserve us. Like, do I really have to read a book called the chicken sisters? Like, how am I going to get yes. through this? Yes. Seriously? Yes. How, how am I going to get through this? So this dear listeners is the way that I do crow pie. I do it publicly. <laughs> I do it dramatically and I will admit here and now that not listening to Shannon was stupider than what I originally thought of the title of this book. This is the chicken sisters by KJ Delantonia. This book is about a small town in Kansas where they have not one, but two competing chicken restaurants that were started by sisters in the 1880s. We have chicken memes. Even the names, I cringed. I cringed. (laughs) (laughs) We have chicken memes, which holds to its original sort of purpose. It serves you down-home fried chicken and the sides that go with it and pie. (laughs) That's all they have, like chicken and the sides and pie. Yeehaw. And they have it till they run out and then they don't got it no more. There's nothing (laughs) else. There's not a big menu. There's not like a bar. It's like this little podunk little place where you walk inside, you order your food at the counter, you get it and you go. (laughs) Then across town, we have, you ready? Chicken Frannies. Again, another name that made me kind of close my eyes and take a deep breath. Chicken Frannies has expanded over the years. They still serve fried chicken because of course they do. But now they have a full menu, including appetizers and desserts and a full bar. It's a gathering spot where people can sit and they have all the regulars that come in for not only the fried chicken, but for everything else that Chicken Franny's has to offer. And in this small town, we have widowed Amanda. Now, Amanda was part of Chicken Mimi's. Until she did the unforgivable and married the son of Chicken Franny's. And from that point forward, she was no longer welcome within the walls of Chicken Mimi's because she was a traitor to all that that restaurant stood for. And her mother would only see her outside occasionally, was not really part of her life, despite the fact that this is really a small town, everyone, like a small little town. So one day, Amanda is just feeling fed up with all there is about her life. She's feeling very distraught about just being in this town and how nothing ever changes. And she's growing rather desperate. So Amanda decides she's going to write to Food Wars to talk about chicken memes and chicken frannies And how the two have been at odds for a century. Because she thinks this would be an amazing way to bring some attention to the town. And to kind of promote Chicken Franny's. Because the winner of the contest of Food Wars, the winner of the show, will get $100,000. Well, that's kind of kick-ass, right? So she decides that's what she's going to do. And she's going to get this town on the map and her Chicken Franny's. Because her mother-in-law has welcomed her into her family with open arms. And is like totally, totally excited that she has another way of, you know, getting some 
kind of publicity for her beloved chicken Franny's that she is now running as a widow herself. Well, when she talked, when Amanda talks to her mother about this whole idea, <laughs> her mother, Barbara, decides that she'll only do the show if her beloved other daughter, May, will come home from New York, where she is part of a show called Sparkling, and she's doing everything right. She's written some self-help books about organization. She's going somewhere. So if May, if May will approve them getting involved in food wars, then this is something that they will do. Well, oh my God, Amanda has a lot riding in this because you see Food Wars is coming out the next day. Well, crap, <laughs> she thinks. And so she decides that what's going to happen is she's going to tell May about it, knowing May won't come, but she's going to lie to her mother and say May's on her way so that they can get this show on the road. Well, in New York City, May, things aren't as great in May's life as she is leading the folks back home to think they are. Her marriage is rocky. Her children seem to kind of love the nanny more than they love their mother. And to add insult to injury, she's just been fired from her co-hosting gig of Sparkling because of her very strong opinions. Uh-huh. Well, May knows. <laughs> May knows she can turn this around. She'll just waltz into food wars, take over, and Chicken Mimi's will win, which will catapult her into her own show. Who needs sparkling? Who needs to listen to her husband or even really let him in on her plans? Because May Moore has a plan. And when she has a plan, you're all going to sit up and take notice. Well, back in her little town in Kansas, May returns to Chicken Mimi's. And there she confronts Amanda. And things soon go very far off the rails as the <laughs> sisters compete to get the title of the winner of Food Wars and to get the money that they've both decided is a necessity. Not only is the war happening between the restaurants, but it's happening between the sisters. And so over this long weekend, they both learn a lot about themselves, both May and Amanda, and learn more about the history of Chicken Mimi's and Chicken Franny's. This book was an absolute delight. Um, it was a little stressful to read because May in the beginning is a really annoying bitch, if I'm being honest. And I really yes, didn't like her. She is. And I sort of wanted to kick her in the face and take her cool boots. And, <laughs> you know, but there's lots was like of like great- Amanda for like halfway through. I was like, I and then I, May. right. But then I stopped liking Amanda for part of it and was more teeny. Yeah. It was very, so this book is um, kind of fraught with um, tension, family tension, but it's also just a lovely story of resilience and coming together and learning things about yourself and your past and the history of your family that might change the way that you view your part of a family. It's a really good book. I went on way too long. I'm so sorry, but I didn't know how to talk about this book any other way because I had to come on here and say that I was wrong and Shannon was right. And I will never ever again mock something that she wants me to read because she's always right and she always knows so if you want to read a book about food and family and fighting and reality tv reality tv there's some very light romance in it that's just sort of like 
in the background, um, then I encourage you to pick up the Chicken Sisters by KJ Delantonia, and you too will be swept away by the hijinks of a feuding yes. pair of sisters, both in the 1880s and today. And I will say that um, don't let the ratings on Goodreads fool you. I'm very confused um, why oh, they're so low. Oh, I'm so low. sad by that. Um, yes. it, it, to me, it was a very clever book. I, the, the feuding and the fighting was a bit much for me at times. And I really did kind of want to hit both sisters in the face. But when you understand the emotional complexity of the childhood that they had, I think you can cut them both some slack, but you won't like them at different points in the book, but the end is worth all of the drama of getting there. And it's one of those books that like the stakes are very high, but like on a personal level, you know, I say this all the time. It's not like, you know, someone's going to be murdered or like the world is going to end, but they're very, they're very important like to this family and it gives it this sense of urgency that feels just really raw and real. It's really good. Everyone should read it. Yes, yes, they should. So my final book is one that was recommended to me by Sarah and Stacy. They told me about Sons of the Survivalist. Oh, by Cherie really Sinclair. So the first book is called Not a Hero. Oh, yay. Sorry. And, <laughs> and I, I need a Gabriel in my life. Like completely utterly need a Gabriel in my life. Um, <laughs> so Gabriel is an ex-seal. But more than that, he was a child in the foster care system and him and three other boys were in a foster care home and they were being abused by their foster dad. And um, one day one of the boys was being sexually abused by this man and Gabriel and the other two boys attacked him. And in walks Sergeant Mako. And Mako decides right then and there that this is not a good home for these boys. And if they go back into the foster system, they it's highly likely they may be put into another home that's abusive. And these boys have formed a very cohesive unit with each other. They work well with each other without ever speaking to one another. And so he pretty much kidnaps these boys, though they are willing. He takes these boys without ever alerting the foster system. And he takes them to Alaska, um, to his cabin. And he teaches them how to survive in the wild, how to hunt their own food, how to build things, how to make their own weapons, just everything. He teaches these boys how to be survivalists. And so these boys all grow up. They go their separate ways. Some are in the military. Some are not. And then Mako passes away. 
And Gabriel is back out in Mako's old cabin. He's very much a loner. He just wants to be left alone. He's kind of got this old, grr, get off my lawn kind of attitude. And some pretty significant PTSD as well, I would say. Yes. Sorry. That is true. Yes, yes, he does. Um, When two of his brothers show up and the boys have been left a small town in Alaska called Rescue. And their job is to build up rescue and make it a, a good place again. And since Gabriel has a history in law enforcement, the boys have come to drag him to rescue to be the police chief. And so he goes, however reluctantly he goes. And then we get to meet Audrey. Audrey is a librarian in Chicago. Um, She's very introverted. She likes mostly dealing with people over the phone or through email. Her her pride and joy is researching for people and helping them um, learn new things or how to, you know, she researches for authors who are writing books and things of that nature. I love librarians. I love her. And Audrey happens to stumble across some criminal activity a murder and wakes up to the assassin in her bedroom and she fights and she gets away and the person that's after her is he has a very good reputation for going after people and finding them and not doing very nice things so she takes off, changes her name, gets a fake ID, and ends up in Rescue Alaska. And, you know, she's used to being a librarian behind a computer or, you know, showing people, you know, where books are, this this type of thing. So she is having to live this fake life under a fake identity to protect herself and she doesn't expect to kind of fall in with the police chief she's actually pretty terrified of law enforcement because the person who is after her has law enforcement in his back pocket dear and so this story just evolves and and shows how gabriel earns her trust and she ultimately falls in love with him because why not (laughs) and (laughs) there's a few very interesting incidences well one in particular where there's a um there's a bear and she's you know this really timid person and she has no idea what to do where wildlife is concerned and she's terrified of this bear that traps her in her cabin makes her (laughs) late for work and like it, it was, you know, I kind of get where she's coming from, but it was a little funny. At, at I don't some... like bears. I don't, think... I don't, I wouldn't want to be, you know, trapped in my cabin by a bear. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's just so interesting. And, you know, there is a, um, what would you call them, Stacy? The, the, um, do you mean the cult? Yes. Ooh. What, so there's a cult of people that um, the men kind of 
control the women. They're not allowed to have, they're not allowed to use the phone. They're not allowed to speak out of turn. They are completely Whoa. covered, all this stuff. And they are causing trouble in rescue. And it is just all kinds of stuff that Gabriel has to work out between him and his two brothers that are with him. And one, for most of this book, they do not have contact with. Um, so this story is just really beautiful about how these brothers bring this town together, how they bring people over to their side and they're very firmly on the side of good and won't let others treat people wrong or be controlling or any of that. And then you have the heroine in distress and then the hero who has to go and save her. It's, it's just a great, great story. So Yay. this is Not a Hero, Sons of the Survivalist, book one by Cherise Sinclair. And you must go pick it up because as much as I hate cold and snow, I want to go to rescue Alaska. I know, I do too. <laughs> this I, is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Wait, Mika, no, go ahead, Stacey, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is a series of, um, I mean, the found family element here and the strong female friendships that develop. This whole series is based on how this town is built, all because of uh, a veteran with significant PTSD who wanted a way to keep his sons on the side of good and a way to keep them connected and not off the grid after his death. Mm -hmm. um, and so he basically gifts them a town and it's just like the most amazing thing I've ever read in my life. And this author is an incredible, incredible writer. So <clears throat> I'm really glad you I'm, talked about this, Kristen. <laughs> I was just going to say, so our next recommendations episode for me will probably just be books that I got from this recommendations episode. <laughs> and and this wraps up this round of recommendations. I do think we'll have to do this again because yes, this please. worked really, Absolutely. really well. Thank you for, uh, to Mika for coming up with this idea. And thank you to Mika, Stacy, and Kristen for participating in this first round. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.